Well, what a delight to be back. Uh, you know, all the years uh, you come and go and come back again, and there's something about the familiar that uh, I really enjoy, and it takes me back to the years earlier when my parents attended and we were able to visit and, and to uh, get a sense even then of the history of the church and, and to know now uh, so much more about it and what God has done and continues to do. And here, your 50th missions conference, uh, quite an honor to be here and be even a, a part of it, but uh, we're so thankful for that history, uh, so grateful for the legacy that you have in being engaged in missions around the world for all of those years and in proudly proclaiming it uh, to the community through your missions conference. But more than that, I'm excited about what God may do in the next 10 years through you as you continue to uh, reshape, restructure, rethink what it is you want to be about when it comes to reaching this community and, and across the globe. A lot of wonderful things are happening out there in missions today, and to, for you to stay abreast of that and, and be uh, writing alongside the changes and being a part of that, I think will be very exciting in the days ahead. Pastor, I'm glad you uh, prayed for Ukraine today. I uh, just received a text this morning, right before I uh, came to church, of, uh, and this is the beauty of partnership ministry. When you have partners around the world and an emergency situation arises, you just start connecting with your partners and finding out who's doing what, who's ready to do what. Well, we received information this morning from some partners in a nearby country that are ready to receive refugees. Uh, and uh, their churches are, um, they just recently bought a camp. And now they're going to fit that camp to, to uh, receive refugees. They said that... Um, the men are not being allowed out of the country, so you're going to have a lot of wives and children coming. And so uh, just wanted to make you aware of that. There are people who are, uh, in answer to the prayer you prayed this morning, that are seriously uh, ready to serve God in any way they can to be a blessing and help to those who cross into their borders. I want to just uh, thank you for supporting us for all of these many years. It's been an honor and a privilege to... Uh, wherever we go, we understand the awesome responsibility is, in addition to representing our Lord, we represent churches that are willing to invest in us. I've never taken that lightly, uh, to think that people are saying, we are praying for you, we are giving toward your ministry, and we go to a country, I realize that I am going on behalf of many, your church included. As pastors mentioned, for many years we served in Bangladesh, which was a great joy to us, and it laid the foundation for us and our understanding of what more we might be able to do with the way God has wired us. And 27 years ago, we started this partnership ministry, and uh, I would just want to encourage you with something today. I won't get into the details of the ministry pastors mentioned it, and maybe we'll share some tonight. I just want to say that in the last three years, we have enjoyed God's blessing more so than ever before, as far as the increase in interest and numbers of individuals, numbers of partners. It's been a phenomenon. I have not been able to figure it out. And as you said, you just stand back and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but we're going to run with it. We'll do what you want us to do. 
our missionary force in the Live Global Banner has tripled in size in three years. The number of partners we have around the world has uh, significantly increased as well. The exciting thing I want to share with you is a vast majority of those new missionaries that have come on board are in their 20s and 30s. God is still calling young people out to serve him in missions. It may not look exactly like it was when I joined. They may have different questions. They may approach things differently. But the fact of the matter is young people today want to change their world. And those who love Jesus want to make a difference. And I'm just so excited to be a part of something that they are attracted to, they want to be involved with and they, in, in, and they want to get out, and they want to, uh, as quickly as they can, be relating with national partners and saying, how can we serve? What can we do to be a blessing? The main thrust of our ministry when we go, we ask three questions. What is God doing? Who is he using? And how can we help? Simple as that. And then we want to go in and we want to listen and we want to learn. Only then do we determine our course of action. We never go in with a template and overlay their ministries and say, if you did it this way, it's going to be a lot better. That's not our approach. We, uh, we want them to do it their way, but we want to hear from them. Is there anything we can do? And we will only serve them if they extend us an invitation. And once they do, we are privileged to... Uh, hold that relationship sacred and to be able to represent them in the best way possible wherever we can and to make their needs known. And the needs we meet vary depending on partnerships. Partnerships are like fingerprints. You can't say it all looks like this. The needs of every partner is totally different based on demographics, politics, location, uh, majority religion, uh, the real needs of the ministry there. But the one thing that is important for you to understand is that all of our partnerships are gospel-centric. That's where it starts. It may lead to a, a variety of methodologies, but we are starting from the fact that we want Jesus to be known. So I'm thankful that you allow us the privilege to do that, to represent you, and uh, it's just a joy and an honor. And as Pastor has said, we just... Uh, Follow the Spirit and see where that may lead. And we never know from day to day, week to week, but we want to be responsive to the Spirit's leading. Well, I was intrigued this morning by your uh, mission theme. World overboard, but even more so the underlying what moves a follower of Jesus to reach for others. I've asked that question a lot through my life. And one person I keep going back to in Scripture is the Apostle Paul that can give us some help in that matter today. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, we'll use this as just a launching point this morning. Uh, one of my favorite verses in Scripture because Paul just lays it out there. There's no ambiguity. Paul says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Why? So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Ever since that Damascus Road experience, Paul has been driven by one thing. To make Jesus Christ known where he's not already known. And a, a 
glance of the New Testament, you see his journeys, you see that's where he's going. Sometimes he was prevented from going places, sometimes he was motivated to go to places, but it was all based on the fact he wanted to make Jesus known, not where somebody has already built a beautiful foundation, but a place where he can go and get his hands dirty, and he can, he can start from scratch, and he could be the first one to tell somebody who had never heard what Jesus could do to transform their lives. It's his ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing if it's aimed in the right direction and for the right purpose. Paul's ambition, his drive, what got him up every morning was to get out there and make Jesus known because the world was overboard as far as he was concerned. Now, it's, it's one thing to read that and to be excited about it and say, yeah, that's great. But I, I would like to ask the underlying question, what motivated Paul to do that? What gave him that ambition? What drove him beyond a, a cursory uh, perusal of, I'm going to share Christ, but to take it deeper and to, to take it to such a degree that he was willing to put his life on the line again and again and again? So that's what we want to look at today. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, if you turn with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, I want to talk about Paul's motivations. Or, as you have in your theme, what moved him to leave his comfort zone, to be willing to be put in prison, to be beaten, to have to be uh, run for his life at times. What was his motivation. And I want to share that I believe those motivations in Paul's life are the same motivations that can drive us today. I'd like you to, as we walk through this chapter, to look at it not as though we're talking about Paul, but seeing yourself in this passage. Now, I want to, want to say this right up front. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is loaded. Um, I, I want to encourage you uh, because we aren't going to see uh, everything here. I, I want to encourage you, maybe this week sometime, to prayerfully walk through this passage. Again, asking that question, what does it mean to me? Uh, because we're just going to look at highlights, uh, things that are, are there for our purpose of finding out what Paul's passion was and what drove him to do what he did. But there is so much there that I, I really would don't want you to miss that. Uh, because we have to go over and through so much material to, uh, to just look at the nuts of the um, points we want to make today regarding Paul's motivation. So we ask the question, why? Why did Paul get up in the morning? Why did Paul get going and be driven by the fact of, I want to reach people for Christ. I think we're going to find, we see three things here. By the way, this is not exhaustive, okay? This is, this is uh, for our purposes this morning in the missions conference to look at Paul's motives. I think we see three of them that are pretty clear to me here that will help us as we uh, want to kind of nail it down in our own hearts and minds, what should motivate us. The first thing we look at, <clears throat> well, let's just talk about the first few verses. It's Paul talking about, I, I'm here, 
but I'd like to be in heaven. But, but I'm here, so I've got to do what I've got to do. But I'm longing for that day I'm going to be there. And he's going back and forth, kind of a, a dialogue with himself, until he gets to verse 9, and we, we get a sense of, okay, this is what's driving him. He says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we, at ho- we are at home uh, in the body or away from it. So we get a sense right there in verse 9. Paul is saying, you know, I, I'd like to go and be with Jesus, but I'm here, but it doesn't matter. Wherever I'm at, here or there, I have one goal in mind. And by the way, that's the same Greek word used, only used three times in the New Testament that we saw in Romans 15, 20, where the ambition or the striving or it's my heart's desire, it's the thing I want to do, it's what's, it's what's motivating me to please the Lord. So whether I'm here or there, my desire, overwhelming desire is to please the Lord. So we use that as kind of our foundation, that that's, what, that's the why, pleasing the Lord. But the first motivation I see in the next verse, that is, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Whoa, wait a minute, is that in the Bible? I mean, I thought this was, you know, God gave us salvation freely and we could just kind of coast until we get to glory. The reality is, I think the first motivation for Paul, he understood that he lived an accountable life. That there was a a day he would stand before the Lord. He doesn't give this as an option, by the way. Every single one of us will stand before the Lord. You need to understand, this is not related to your salvation. This is related to um, honoring the Lord by your life. What did you do in your life, uh, the events of your life that honored him, and just the opposite? What are those opportunities missed? What are those things that did not honor the Lord in your life as a believer? Paul's first motivation, he says, I want to please the Lord regardless, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing. And I want to do that, first of all, because I know there's going to be a day when I'm going to stand before him and ultimately kneel before him and give an account for my life. What did I do every day? What did I think about? What was I engaged in? Because Paul wanted to please the Lord. Now, we don't know all that will take place then. We don't know how this is going to unfold, but we do know that uh, it's a day of judgment. And for all of us who love the Lord, I think the greatest thing we would want is to be able to have treasures to be able to put in. We say you can't take it with you. Well, in this case, you can. This is the opportunity to serve the Lord faithfully through your life, day in, day out, not worrying about what the outcome is going to be, but knowing one day you'll be able to be there and worship the Lord and say, this is, this is all I have to offer. My life, what I lived, how I lived, what I did in your name. That's what drove Paul. He wanted so much to please the Lord that he says, I'm willing to put up with suffering regardless because I want to make Jesus known. He wanted to live an accountable life. We're all accountable. We just may not know it. The reality is there will come a day when uh, our lives will be an open book before the Lord And uh, we'll be exposed for good or for bad. 
for the uh, kind of life we lived. And I think that's, it's humbling, a little bit scary, but the reality is that uh, that day is coming for each of us. I think about uh, one of my partner friends. In fact, the very first partner that uh, joined our partnership team 27 years ago was a guy by the name of Dr. Do Swan Mung of Myanmar, back then, Burma. He was the guy that uh, came to the Lord and said, I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to start a Bible college, a Bible school, but I need proper education. Now, you go back 30 years ago, or however long it was when, uh, before this school started, was not, you know, you, you think about that country today, it was far worse even back then as far as the international relationships and so on. But he said, I'm going to do it. So he actually walked out of the country through the hills and into a neighboring country where he spent a year working and earning a living and attempting to get a visa as a resident of that country so he could come to the States. He did. Came to the States, went to seminary. They loved him. Everybody loved him at the school. There was a man, he was a serious student. He was going to give it everything he had. And they had all kinds of offers to stay. We need you here. Your kind is, you know, the, the studying hard and stuff. We need you in our pulpits. We need you here with our people. He said, no, I came for a purpose and I'm going back because I'm accountable. I came here for a reason. And if I change my reason midstream and I decide to do what I want to do because I'm selfish, that's wrong. So he went back, and oddly enough, he goes back to the neighboring country. He walks back in, going over the mountains, days walk, but this time he had donkeys with all the books he was bringing back and so on. But he'd pass up people, and they say, no, no, you're going the wrong way. We're trying to get out. He said, no, I'm coming back in. This is what God's called me to do. Debbie and I have been to every single graduation but one in that Bible school since 1995. And let me tell you, the high quality of the students that are changing their world for Christ is amazing. Because a man said, I'm serious about this. I'm going to be held accountable. God has called me to do something, and if I do anything else, I violated that trust. And he went back, faithfully served, in the midst of all the difficulties that that place has had for the years, and I would go back every time just in total amazement of this small in stature man who had a big faith in God and a trust in him and understood that one day he wanted to stand before the Lord and say, you know, these hundreds of students, Lord, they're yours. Thank you for letting me do it and be held accountable. He passed away this last year, COVID complications, and I'm going to miss him dearly. He's just like a brother to me. And uh, I want to thank Calvary, by the way, through Sandy. Um, we sent them 30,000 theological books for their library at the seminary. Calvary was a big part in helping us gather some of those books and get them out there a couple of years ago. And I want to thank you. Thank you for doing something like that. I've been in that library. It's amazing. It's amazing. 30,000 books already cataloged in a beautiful air-conditioned uh, floor on the eight-story seminary building. We were able to help them purchase. It's 
beautiful. And they use it. It is used faithfully by these students, hundreds of students. And we're so grateful for Dr. Mung and his vision. But because he was a man that said, God's called me. i got to do what he's called me to do. If I do anything else, shame on me. Just like Paul. He was accountable. Well, interesting, you go further in. The next verse, by the way, just as a sidelight, in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. What does he do? We try, try to persuade men. Now, he's not using fear as a tactic, but he's saying, uh, you know, we're going to look at something else in a moment here, but this is one portion. This is God the judge, God the righteous judge. When you think about him and you're accountable to him, what does that do? That, that creates a sense of the fear of God, a rightful fear of the one who can, the only one who can judge you. But then he thinks about the people that he's going to, to see. And he realizes because of the fear of the Lord in what he knows they're going to face, because they have accountable lives, whether they know it or not, he, he is driven by the fear of the Lord to persuade men. Not to talk to them over a cup of coffee and see how they're doing, but to persuade them. Jesus is the answer. Paul was driven by the fear of the Lord because of accountable lives. Well, I want to go to the next here in verse, uh, actually verse 17, a very well-known verse to everybody. The second motivation for Paul, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, it says. It's brand new. I'm new in Christ. Paul never got over the reality that he was walking down the road one day, one person, and God shook up his life and changed his life upside down. He was in awe of the incredible Savior in the way he shook up his life and changed him for good and changed him forever. He's a new creature in Christ, and he saw that potential in every person he came across. You can be new in Christ. You can be new in Christ. I like the verse before that says, we, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. In a sense, because I'm new in Christ, I don't see people like everybody else does. I see them in a sense that they're spiritual beings. I don't see Christ like everybody else does. I understand who he truly is. So Paul was looking at the world through different glasses than a lot of people. He, he saw things as they really were, not as people perceived them to be. But here's the point we keep working back I want to get to in verse 14. All of this culminates in this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he goes on to talk about salvation through Christ. Okay, we saw earlier, because you have an accountable life, you're driven in a sense by the proper respect and fear of the Lord. Now he's saying, God changed my life. It was miraculous. I was this way. Now I'm this way. I'm a new creature in Christ. I love him so much. Driven by love, fear, and love. Motivating factors. Fear because of the coming judgment. Love because God's provided a way of escape. Paul saw this, and it just uh, changed his perspective on everything. But I like this. Love compels him. 
Love wasn't just a nice thing to walk along the side of the road with, but it, it was like his launching pad. This is what gets me going. I love Jesus. I love people. I want so desperately for them to connect, to come together so they can know what it is to be driven by the love of God. New creatures. He sees with spiritual eyes, moved by love. I think of another partner, this one in the country of Bangladesh. And I want to have a shout out to one of my heroes of the faith who is right here in your congregation, Lynn Silvernal. She's going to be embarrassed on me even saying this. Amazing woman of God. I loved going to Chittagong and going to their residence and just being near her and in in watching how she approached life every day consistently over a period of time. She was one of the people responsible for the uh, Bengali common language translation of the Bible that is in use throughout the entire country today in changing lives. She also, yes, that's exactly right. Uh, She also... uh, just didn't go to language school. She wrote the book on Bengali language that all the rest of us went to school learning, and she was amazing in the language. But most of all, she was a humble servant of God. She never even wanted you to know she existed. She just went about her work, faithfully doing what God called her to do. The reason I mention her name is I'm going to mention this guy's name, and she would say amen to this because she knows him. Shopon Mundo. This guy loves people, loved God, and uh, he was one of our partners that I greatly enjoyed visiting. Every time you're with him, get on the motorcycle, George, let's go. And we're going off, and he's, he's preaching to everybody along the way, but in a joyful spirit. He's the only guy I knew that was well-respected by the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the animists, and the Christians in his region. They all wanted to be around Chapon, and he never hesitated telling them about Jesus. He did it with a joyful spirit. That's what drew me to him. I couldn't speak Bengali like I wanted to to really have the dialogue with him, but it was all over his face, and it was all over the people that surrounded him. The joy just overflowed. He, he happied people to Jesus. I mean, he just, uh, they, they were drawn to him. And then when he told them about the change in his life, it was, what Jesus did, it was just like Paul is saying here. And love compelled him. He would, we did a lot of things. Just one brief thing is he would, uh, he was bold, too, by the way. Uh, he would get a bunch of, uh, find the best Christian soccer players he could and make a team, and he would put an advertisements out, soccer game, tournament, and so on. And there for, you know, 10 cents or something, people can get in. He would have thousands of people in the stands. At halftime, he'd get the mic and get out there and start, let me tell you what's going on here. And he'd start telling them about Jesus. All halftime long, and nobody left. Preaching to the whole crowd. Used every opportunity, every advantage to get the gospel out because he loved Jesus so much, and he wanted people to be in love with him just like he was. Chopin, amazing man. He has also passed away, and his wife this week passed away as well, and I know they're rejoicing together in glory with Jesus, who they loved so much. Well, not only accountability and not only motivated by love. And I love this passage too, starting at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I don't think this passage gets enough run in the church today. 
This is not just Paul talking. Do you realize, if I were to walk down there and start shaking hands with all of you, and I've done this in, in some places, Mr. Ambassador, Madam Ambassador, what a privilege to meet you, representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to see you. I don't care what you think about yourself today. If you love Jesus Christ, and if you think that's all you got going for you, that's enough. Because you are his ambassador. He wouldn't call you that if he didn't want you to be serious about it. I think it ought to give you a little jump in your step. It ought to get you up a little quicker and ready to go at it because you are representing the king of kings, the creator of the universe, the one who gave himself for you, and he wants you to represent him to the world as his divinely appointed ambassador. That's what this means, and there's so much richness here. But not only that, you go back to the previous verses, it says Paul was given the ministry of reconciliation. That's his ministry. Then it says he was given the message of reconciliation. That's what he was to speak. An ambassador only speaks, only says what the person he is representing or the country he is representing allows him to say. And he is telling you what, that, what the Lord has said. You're to talk about reconciliation. That's your message. Get it out there. Well, I think you can see Paul was highly motivated by some incredible things. Not only was he motivated by the fact there was a coming judgment and he wanted to be there and, and hear, well done, thou faithful servant. But he was motivated by the change that took place in his life when Jesus met him in Damascus Road and he was compelled by that love. But also God appointed him. He called him. He gave him a responsibility. So there's a sense of duty here. I am an ambassador. I must represent the Lord the way he desires. And as one who's calling people to be reconciled, he says words like, uh, it's God's appeal. God's making his appeal through us. And, and I'm imploring you. I mean, those aren't words of somebody who's just taken a nonchalant approach to their job. I'm imploring you. Please be reconciled to God. The person I think I've come closest to uh, in, in my journeys, though there are a lot that I could put in this category, and I won't share his name since we're on live, but he's in India, major city with hundreds of thousands of uh, university students. But here's what I mean by I, I, I watch this person's life uh, and he's representative of what I think an ambassador ought to be. And this could happen on any day of the week, and I've been there a number of times, and we've walked uh, together, and, and, I, and I followed them through the day. But you might start the morning off by going to the slum. And as you go into the slum, now he's a medical doctor that actually gave up his medical practice because he says, I can't do that and justify what God's called me to do. I'll still practice as needed, but... That's not my primary motivation. I, I want people to come to Jesus. So he, um, he is highly motivated by that. So you go to the slums. You walk through it with him and people, oh, how are you doing, pastor? He's not even really a pastor, but he's just, pastor. Uh, and he stops and prays with them. You go to another house and you talk with people about uh, uh, their situation. And then you see these little hovels where they're having classrooms that he's helped create uh, 
some kind of education for them. Then you go to another place in somebody's room, but basically it's the church that's meeting there. Highly respected, but every conversation always points to Jesus. Thank you for that compliment. Jesus made that possible. Well, I'm glad you've enjoyed that educational opportunity. Let's thank Jesus right now for doing that for you. He understood the fact that he's there representing God. Not, this is not all about him. He doesn't need the pat on the back. Well, later on that day, we're preparing for a, a forum where they're going to have some of the most uh, important people in the city come, administrators at universities, business people, government officials, um, and we're sitting in this room uh, to talk about a topic of the day where everybody comes, you'll bring in special speakers, and they'll talk about whatever the issue may be. He always finishes it and say, well, let me tell you what Jesus has to say about this. It opens up the Bible and starts preaching to them Jesus. I sit back and I say, I was in the slums this morning. I'm with the highest officials in the city tonight. He's the same guy because he's representing the same Lord. He realizes as an ambassador, I need to take every opportunity to make Jesus known. Whether it's to the poorest of the poor, the highest of the high, my job is to not shrink back, but to go forward. Realize there is a world overboard, and it's my time to do what God's called me to do. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads right now and I just want you to think with me about these three motives of Paul. First of all, a life of accountability. I don't know where you are on the spectrum of accountability right now, but maybe some of you are saying, you know what? As I look back, there's some wasted years, wasted opportunities. Well, I don't want to look at those right now. I want to look forward. And I wonder the quietness of your heart. You might say, Lord, going forward as an accountable person, one that is going to stand before you, help me, help me, Lord, to seize those opportunities, to be more uh, efficient in how I live and how I represent you. For some of you, it may be a lack of love for a lost and dying world, maybe even a lack of love for Jesus. Oh, yes, you came to know him, but maybe like the... Ephesian church, you've lost your first love. Maybe this is the time to, to re-up and to say to Jesus, I'm in. I love you. Thank you for what you did. It wasn't Damascus Road, but for me it felt like that, and you changed my life. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51. Maybe for some of you it's, ah, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. How can I be an ambassador for Jesus? Well, he's called you an ambassador. Maybe it's time to step it up. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, I'm in. If you're willing to call me an ambassador, I'm not going to do any less. I will represent you to my neighbors, to my community, my workplace, whatever it may be. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this message, we just pray that it's just the very beginning of changed lives. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for their passion for the lost. 
I pray that it just wouldn't be a, a church thing, but that the individuals that make up this church would be just as passionate about the lost and reaching them and, and sending them a lifeline for those who are overboard in their way. Not everyone can go overseas. We understand that, Lord. But we can all do something, and it may start with just looking at these motivations in Paul's life and say, how does that match up in mine? Thank you, Father, for these people, for their commitment, and I pray that it would just grow and grow as the Spirit of God works in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.